With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, man, we got a monster for you today. Everything from NFL Walter Payton, men of the year candidates, to one of the greatest coaches you don't know. He just beat Gonzaga. Herb Sendek, to Is Cam Newton a Hall of Famer? Is Phillip Rivers a Hall of Famer? The discussion with the boys back east led to some interesting talk. Did you know Cam Newton went 16-1? and And by the way, there used to be a video. It was a very popular video. Girls Gone Wild. NFL Gone Wild. Don't at me starts right now. Hey, good morning this morning. Hope you're having a great day. We got some sleet out here, so we may never leave the crib. All right. NFL gone wild. What does that mean? Well, gone wild always means about sex. Back in the day, there was girls gone wild. These two brothers, I think they're out of New Orleans, had this great idea to film hot college girls on spring break, basically getting naked or talking about getting naked. It was a big seller until whatever the two guys did probably did not pay their taxes. They got arrested. Anyway, NFL gone wild. NFL puts it all in one day. NFL gone wild. And you know gone wild, as I just stated, means sex. I've always said this, and I'll always say this, and I don't know if this is politically correct. I don't know if this is politically incorrect. I legitimately don't know. I don't care who you're having sex with. I do not care. I don't want to celebrate who you're having sex with. I don't want to discuss who you're having sex with unless it's over a beer and you're like, hey, and I'm in college, and you're like, hey, you know that cheerleader, she and I are going out this week. I mean, I'll get all that. But as I grow older, and not even now, I'm talking about 30, 40 years ago, I didn't care who you or anybody else was having sex with. Now that's all we care about. All we care about is who you're having sex with. So the NFL really wants to get into who you're having sex with. Who are we having sex with, people? Well, why else would they, every year since 2016, have a LGTBQ ABCD night? A night to honor our LGTBQ people. What that means is we want to honor you for who you're having sex with. Now, I know you're going to make it deeper than that. I know you are. I know you're going to make it. Well, if you don't, then it's violence. No, 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 no. This is only for people celebrating who they are having sex with. We're not celebrating me who is having sex, uh, hopefully soon, with the lovely Lee Ross, my wife. We don't care about that. The NFL announced their commitment to LGBTQ community with a night of pride at the Super Bowl It's to help enlighten defamatory media coverage against gay and lesbian demographics. You can always make up that we get this defamatory media coverage. Look, here's what you got to understand. Do you want equal or do you want equal but special? Look, the heterosexual community gets crushed with defamatory. Every time somebody says something like a look, 
You don't need a month to celebrate who you're having sex with. That's not dangerous rhetoric. That might be common sense. It might be. Anytime somebody says, hey, look, I'm a God-fearing Christian man. I don't need you parading down the streets of Indianapolis naked on a bike during your gay lesbian parade. I don't need it. That's not defamatory. That's just common sense. I don't need to know who you're stupid. That's not defamatory. That's common sense. In fact, it wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if you think about it this way? If we didn't have to have these nights, if we didn't have to have this shoved down our throats, if we didn't have to have any of this, if we just accepted who everybody's having sex with, I have. Now, because I don't go overboard with this and celebrate this, I will be called a bigot. I will be called a variety of things. But the fact of the matter is, I'm what everybody should be. Does it bother me when a dude and a dude hold their hands walking down the street? Never has, never will. Never. Does it bother me when two women are kidding? That never has, never will. Does it bother me when in the indie gay parade here a few years ago, uh, big fat ass white dudes are on bicycles, buck naked at a parade throwing candy to kids? Yes. That bothers me. That's a decaying society. That is, that's just common sense. In fact, to the point where I talked about it on, the ra- on my radio show when I had one in Indy, and by the way, the head of the parade called in and said, I thought I was going to get ripped. I thought I was going to get, well, you're a homophobe, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. The lady said, you're absolutely right, Dan. It's embarrassing for our community. It'll never happen again, and it hasn't. Now, I'm just telling you, if more people thought like me and didn't give a rat's ass, but see, here's the deal. For whatever the reason... The NFL feels like they have to throw this at us. For whatever the reason, the NFL feels like they have to care. And this is not a new thing, by the way. I looked this up. People are up in arms on it. I'm not up in arms at all. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to anything. I'm not going to the Super Bowl. I'm going to sit my fat you-know-what here, and away we go. But the NFL has lost its mind. The NFL has absolutely lost its mind. Okay. Yesterday, they also put in there, hey, look. We're going to play the Black National Anthem. This don't bother me either. Play whatever the hell you want. I wish they'd play the Serbian National Anthem. Play it for all us Serbs, yo. Play it for all us Serbs. Now, Nicole Hannah-Jones is an activist. All right? She's an activist. The White National Anthem is played. It was written by a racist enslaver who believed black people were inferior and fought abolitionists in the courts. It did not become our National Anthem until 1930s. Uh, pr- uh, Practically because the song itself has racist lyrics, you all really should not boast your historical ignorance so loudly in an effort to constantly be aggrieved about the country you remain atop of. Yeah, I don't know. That's fine. I mean, that's fine. I mean, the country you remain atop of. Nobody's atop of anything. I mean, why, why does everything have to be divided? Look, you don't like the national anthem? Play the black national anthem. People want the black national anthem? Play the black national anthem. I could care less. Look, again, what I do, you can play anything you want. It's up to me whether or not I'm going to watch. And I'm not specifically not going to watch the time the Black National Anthem comes. I just don't get into all this unless I'm betting on how long the National Anthem is. And I had an insider for a few years uh, give me the, the numbers and uh, we want some money. But anyway, I digress. 
care less whether you play the black, the green, the white, the orange, national land. It doesn't matter to me at all. You want to keep dividing our country? Keep dividing our country. See how it's done for you. Every time you sit there and turn around and you're seeing it here with the NFL, they got to tell us something. Choose love. What does that mean? Well, I choose love. Okay. I, I, I choose love. I inspire change. What exact change do you want? I'll tell you the change you want. You want separate? You want equal but special. That's what you want, and that's fine. Take your equal but special. Look, if you don't like the Black National Anthem, don't listen. Personally, don't care. Doesn't affect me one second. Here's what happens. You got build up to the Super Bowl. So everything's got every little organization, every single little mark has to be checked. Do we have the Black National Anthem? Do we have the LGBTQ, ABCDEFG night? How are we doing with uh, hermaphrodite dolphins? Where are we? Oh, wait, the Asians. What are we going to do with the Serbians? Uh, What? What? It goes back to what I said about John Adams. John Adams, great dude, not the president. John Adams was the head of referees for the NCAA tournament and over all the referees in the NCAA. I showed up for lunch with him, and he's like, hey, Doc, you know a good black referee on the West Coast? I got to fill out the NCAA tournament. I said, why don't you just get the best referee? He goes, yeah, you know you can't do that. That's fine. You know you can't do that. So you got to check all these boxes. And that's all this is. That's all this is. So look, at the end of the day, I don't care. I'm not, I'm watching if I'm sitting and I'm comfortable and the Black National Anthem comes on, I'll give it a watch. If it doesn't, I ain't watching. I, socks. That's how we're going to get it. Socks. I guess everybody feels like they need to do their part. Look, personally, you do what you want to do. But I don't give a rat's ass about LGTBQ night. And if that's defamatory, then fine, tough. Just like you don't give a rat's ass about Dockage Married Night. I mean, I can have a celebration on Dockage Married Night. Lee and I go out to dinner. As soon as I heal up here, we'll go out to dinner, a nice dinner, and we'll make it Dockage Heterosexual Night or something. I don't know. How will that be? I remember I put out about a few months ago, I just got tired of white women being crushed, so I put out, let's celebrate white women today, a picture of my beautiful wife and I, and people lost their mind. Racist! What? Celebrating white women. Can't do that. What? I'm celebrating heterosexuals. Ah, bite me with all this. If you don't, don't get, but don't get worked up. Everybody should think like me. I give a damn about LGT Pride Night. If you do, go do your thing. I give a damn who you're having sex with. If you do, go do your thing. Give a damn. I don't care. When I was a kid, hey, 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 pure poly, purebred. How huh? you know you have some sex with her? What's going on? Huh? 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 I don't care now. What do I care? Uh, Dak Prescott's brother apparently is not happy. Dak Prescott's brother. Well, he wants out. Dak Prescott's brother. See, here's what you got to do. When you're Dak Prescott, here's what you do. You put a gag order on everybody that you know. You put a gag order. You say, guys, look, the season's over. We ain't happy. You ain't happy because we lost. But I get to be the $30 million quarterback of the Dallas freaking Cowboys. And you know what comes with that? Heat. Red hot heat. It comes with the job. It comes with the pay. It comes with the team. It comes with the league. 
If you're going to say, what's the number one job to catch heat in the NFL on the field? You tell me. I say quarterback Dallas Cowboys. You know, it isn't the guy that followed, I would argue, that Mac Jones or Stidham or whoever replaced Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, hasn't caught nearly as much hell as what Dak Prescott has. So people always say, well, it's the hardest to follow the GOAT. Well, the guys that follow the GOAT have had it much easier than Dak Prescott. So let me get to my point. My point is if I were Dak Prescott, I would say to my family, my agent, everybody involved, look, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to St. Bart's. I've been to St. Bart's. St. Bart's is the perfect place. St. Bart's is small. It's got beaches, a ton of beaches, great bars, great little... Nobody gives a rat's ass. I mean, nobody cares who you are or who you aren't. And I'm taking everybody in my little entourage, including Dak Prescott's brother, Tad, to St. Bart's for like two weeks. He's making $30 million. He can afford everybody. And then we're all going to chill. We're all going to chill. We're going to have nice dinner. We're going to have nice drinks. We're going to act like idiots. We're going to go plan the beach. We're going to do whatever we want. But instead, this is what we get. Cowboy fans might continue to DM me. Trust me, if I could get Dak to leave Dallas, I would. I, too, want him out of Dallas. The city and the organization have been great to he and our family. But done with drama and the so-called fans. But he loves this team, and he wants to bring it ring. See, there's nothing good that comes out of this. There's not one good thing that comes out of Tad Prescott talking about Dak Prescott this way. Nothing. You're not getting over on the fans. And you can talk about a lot of, quote, so-called fans. Those, quote, so-called fans don't reside in Dallas. They reside in Tampa. When Tampa wins, we got a zillion fans. We're from all other parts of the, of the world, but we ended up in Tampa or Carolina or Arizona, and now we're Arizona fans. But when you're talking about Bears fans, Packers fans, Cowboy fans, Giants fans, Jets fans, you're talking about the core NFL longtime fan. So don't talk about so-called fans and put your brother in a bad position. I would take the entire family, anybody that I think is going to be a mouth, my agent, my agent's brother, my wife, my sister, my whatever. And I'd say, guys, we're going for two weeks on me. Everybody, if I see one tweet, one text, one negative thing to one person, I'm sending your ass home and I am going to rip you on social media. That's it. We're done. We're done. Now, Prescott's brother, uh, somebody said here, I'm sure you don't mind the generational wealth these fans brought your family. Fans fund this as bro, bro. All right. Did you see me speak badly on the city or, or the organization, Tad Prescott said? The answer is no. No, yes, of course I did. I'm reading it right here. I've never, those who really know me or follow me knows I have never spoken badly about the Dallas Cowboys as an organization or team. I've never spoken badly about a player on the team or the city of Dallas. It's the so-called fans I have issue with. Well, that is speaking badly. I mean, guys are really stupid. Now, they just are. I mean, Lee and I talk about this all the time. Men are so simple. And guys like Tad Prescott are even simpler. So what you do is this. You just shut up. If you're going to criticize and say you're going to get or you want to get or you have to get Dak Prescott out of Dallas and you're Dak Prescott's brother, by proxy, you are ripping on the city of Dallas, the team, his teammates, ownership, management, you name it, he's ripping on it when he says, I have got to get him out of here. 
or I want him out of here. Now, you can cover it up with your words, but we know the intent. Well, how can you know intent, man? Because we're not idiots. Because we're not fools. We're not dumbasses. We know the intent. And the intent is for you to open your big mouth and think you're getting over on the fans. Well, let me tell you something. Fans number in the millions. You're one. And I guarantee your brother, Dak, is not going to stand up and fight for your sorry ass. I will bet you money. But that's what I would do. I want to give you a solution when we have problems. The solution is simple. Take everybody after the season. Get everybody to St. Bart's or St. something. Get a house the size of this neighborhood and just have a couple of weeks, decompress, have some fun, no Twitter, no social media, no nothing. Nothing. And then you figure it out. And if somebody violates it, hey, man, I can't trust you. I cannot trust you. Dak Prescott, I know, unfortunately, one of his brothers passed away, and it's really sad. But it seems like Dak Prescott is a great dude. It seems like Dak Prescott's family are great people. It does. I saw the chunky uh, chicken commercials or whatever the hell the soup was, chunky soup. I saw those commercials. Seemed like great dudes. But you got to shut up. You just got to shut up. Unless, of course, you're Joy Reid. Now, if you're Joy Reid, we want you to talk. We know that you are an idiot. We want to hear your stupid. Joy Reid debated Moms of Liberty co-founder Tiffany Justice over a movement in which parents pressure school libraries to remove books containing sexual explicit content. She advocates, Joy Reid does, for sexually explicit books in grade schools. Let's hear from Joy Reid. What is booklooks.com? I'm aware of a website called booklooks.com where parents can go and see some of the books that other parents are concerned about. Booklooks.com has been used in Florida extensively in counties like, I used to live in Broward County, I lived there for 14 years. Okay. In counties like Broward, counties like Clay, counties like Escambia, Moms for Liberty activists are using booklooks.com. And it's essentially a cliff notes for books. So you go through without even having to read the book. I'm going to just hold it up so our audience can see what it looks like. This is the one for All Boys Aren't Blue, which is one of the books Moms for Liberty has pushed to go and see the content in this book. That's such a good idea. And so what happens is you can do keyword searches and find certain keywords. Like rape? You can find keywords. Yeah, or anal rape or dildo. You can find all sorts of keywords. Those types of words. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait. Let me finish my question. Then you can answer. I'm going to give you time to answer, but I got to ask you first. Oh, yeah. Um, And so what you find is the keywords that you find, the Uh N-word, anything, words like you just used, whether you'll get out-of-context passages from the book, and then based on that, Moms for Liberty members are going to places like Broward County School Board meetings, reading out of pass, out of context passages from these books and then demanding that the school board remove them. So what's that the is the way yeah. the, the question I'm asking is, what is the expertise that you have and other Moms for Liberty advocates have to decide that a book, an award winning book like All Boys Aren't Blue, isn't oh. appropriate for students to read? What, what is your expertise? A, what a tragic story of a young man who's anally raped by his adult family member. So mm-hmm. you have incest, rape, pedophilia. Joy, you said you'd let me answer, so sure. I'm going to answer Please for do. you. Please um, do. In what context is a strap on dildo acceptable for public school? Just let, I mean, that's my question mm-hmm. to you. Ah, that's a good question. Can you imagine? I just want you to think for just a second. Think back. Harken with me. We like to harken on this show. Harken back to a day where 
We didn't talk about this stuff where common sense said, hey, look, man, anal rape is not going to be in libraries and schools. And that was like common sense. Can you remember a time of that? Can you remember a time when we didn't have to discuss strap on dildos on our national TV where the host would agree like, hey, this is not a good thing where the host might actually be leading the conversation against having this type thing in our public schools? I mean, I get it. The number one way you go about challenging this is by simply saying book banning. Well, you're book banning. And again, we hearken back to a time when books like To Kill a Mockingbird and others were banned from public schools. We, we, we hear words and we immediately think bad. But the context kind of matters. If we're talking about the things that the Mothers for Liberty, Tiffany Just, is, is talking about here, then of course those books shouldn't be in public school. I don't know how anybody should say they should be. Why should a kid in a public school in sixth grade go, hey, hey, there's a strap-on store on aisle eight in the library. If you think you have to censor strap-on dildo for your Twitter post, then why do you think that content would be appropriate for children to read about in a public school? It's a very logical question. Most, if not all, of the stuff we talk about relative to Joy Reid or The View or any of these shows is simply common sense. If I have to, on Twitter, or X, or wherever, Instagram, or Facebook, if I have to censor certain words or certain actions, certain videos, certain deeds, YouTube, then doesn't it make sense that maybe, just maybe, those same type things should not be in schools of elementary kids, libraries? No? Does that not make sense? I get it. Book banning. You're for book banning. Yeah, I guess, if that's what we're talking about here. If, if you told me, should we get rid of a book that talks about the anal rape of a child, should we get rid of it in a public library or a school library? School library, not public library. School library, my answer is going to be, oh, hell yeah. And I'll be loud just like Joy Reid, and I'll try to make my nasty face. Oh, hell yeah. I make my nasty face, Joy Reid, nasty face. Well, of course. But I just want to hearken again and say, can you imagine that this is a discussion that we have to have on national TV in front of the world and it stays there? Meaning, Google this a month from now and you'll be able to see it. A year from now, 10 years, and you'll be at, This is where we're at as a society and it's disgusting. There's no way... That I don't know whether Joy Reid is straight, lesbian, uh, mom, I have no idea, and I do not care. Except to say this, there's no way a mother, no way, a sane mother who is not on some type of crusade for some reason other than the protection of her children would say it's a really good thing to put stories in kids' elementary school libraries that involve strap-ons, anal rape, and all this other disgusting crap. I mean, there's no way. There's not a mother that I know. Maybe, maybe it's my privilege. I mean, doesn't it all go back to privilege? 
maybe, Dockett, you're just privileged. How am I privileged? Well, you're privileged, and I would agree with this. I am privileged to be around people that can think beyond their nose. I'm privileged to be around people that have a little bit, not a lot, sometimes, sometimes when they're drinking, not much, common sense. That is my privilege. And I would not hang with the Joy Reeds of the world who think that it is okay just because you're going to win the battle of words by saying banning books. And then you go out and you allow those things in schools. Look, I'm about the least prudish human being you're ever going to meet when it comes to stuff like that. I am, I swear to you. But I got to tell you, I, I, I just got to tell you, uh, these people are nuts. And it's insane that we have this type conversation going on right now. It's insanity to me. It really and truly is. And I wish it weren't like this, but it is like this. And there's not a damn thing we can do about it. Hey, I'm going to be right back. The show will come right back here. And I got words on Ryan Sandberg. I want to talk about the legendary second baseman of the Chicago Cubs. And I want to talk about the explosion of points last night in the NBA. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, sorry about that, but you know what? You know what? I rarely run, but when I do, it's to the bathroom. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I'm really sad to announce this, Uh, but I got to tell you, one of my idols, I don't know if he was an idol or just a favorite. You know, Ryan Sandberg was the best second baseman that I've ever seen. Like Joe Morgan was right there, Ryan Sandberg, you know, you can name whoever your favorite is, your favorite is. But I grew up in an era where the Cubs never went to the playoffs. And I mean never. When I say never, I mean never. The playoffs weren't like what the playoffs are now. The playoffs are one of those deals where uh, only the team that won the East went to the playoffs. There were no wild cards, that kind of thing. And the Cubs finally got it done in 1984. And Ryan Sandberg had the greatest, well, he had the greatest year a second baseman has ever had. Now Ryan Sandberg, who was a heartthrob, he revealed that he has prostate cancer. He revealed that he is in a battle and has begun treatment 
with prostate cancer. To my Chicago Cubs National Baseball Hall of Fame, extended baseball family, city of Chicago, and all my loyal fans, I want to share some personal news. I was diagnosed and have been diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer. I've begun treatment, and he's going to be positive and all that kind of stuff. All right. Well, metastatic, or however I'm screwing it up, I actually practiced it this morning. It means that it's spread to other parts. It's spread to lymph nodes, things like that. Look, the average year uh, length of time when somebody has it is five years to live. I hope this isn't true. Boy, oh, boy, I hope this isn't true. I hope Ryan Sandberg fights it like he fought every day on the baseball field. Ryan Sandberg always was a just a terrific guy. Ryan Sandberg really caused no waves. Ryan Sandberg had one of the greatest days against the Cardinals. In fact, on I think it is June 23rd this coming year, they're going to put a statue of Ryan Sandberg out in the plazas around Wrigley Field on the day he hit three home runs and just basically propelled an entire city of Chicago into the playoffs in June. Now, you think that's crazy, and it is to a, to, a, to a little bit. It is. But the truth of the matter is, for those of us that were the perfect age to watch it, uh, junior year in college, massive Cub fan, go up to Wrigley and watch games, sold my shoes in Wrigley Field for a Cubs-Cardinals game because we ran out of beer money. True story. In 1984, we did. But anyway, long story short, our prayers, my prayers, are with Ryan Sandberg and will be with Ryan Sandberg. Uh, last night, and this happens, very, it's very odd in the NBA how this happens sometimes. It's very odd. Like one guy will go drop 80, and the same night somebody else will go drop 50. Listen to this. Joel Embiid drops 70. 70 on that Wembayana kid who is the next big thing, and he probably is the next big thing. Man, he's, a, he's an athletic, long dude. But he got no match for Joel Embiid. Now, this reminds me of when Joel Embiid was at Kansas and Bill Self, who had, like, Embiid was eligible. He wasn't eligible. There was all kind of different stuff with Embiid. I can't remember exactly, but I know he didn't play a whole year, and then he ended up not playing. And Bill Self said, and I thought he was BSing us at the time, he said, this is the best basketball player I've ever coached. Like, wow. No kidding. Huh. Turned out he ain't wrong. I mean, Kansas has put out a lot of pretty good pros. I mean, Paul Pierce was before. He was with Roy Williams. But nobody like Embiid. Like, Embiid is insane. So he dropped 70. So let's harken back. We're hearkening today. Let's harken back to when, well, Carl Anthony Towns and the fellas were at Kentucky. And they had a big day. Everybody on the team got drafted. And John Calipari called it the biggest day, the best day in Kentucky basketball history, including national championships. Well, one of those was Carl Anthony Towns. So what did Carl Anthony Towns do last night? He went for 62. Now, normally we don't discuss NBA and the highlights and all this kind of stuff, but it is pretty cool. And it seems like this happens all the time. It seems like it happens like, man, here's the deal. Carl Anthony Towns, well, I just saw MB drop, what? He dropped 70? Okay. Let me go get 70. Eh, he fell a little short, 62. This is a nice kid. I had a chance to meet him and interview him when I was at ESPN. His mother passed away, I believe, of COVID. And it was a heartwarming story. And I believe this could be I could be dead wrong about this. Maybe his mother hadn't passed away. I cannot remember. But I remember interviewing him in the plaza uh, at the Final Four in Minneapolis. And what a great kid. I mean, he stood out there and 
autograph for kids. And obviously it's in Minnesota. He's playing for the Timberwolves. And so everybody loves him. He's the hometown hero. Everybody thought, what a great kid. And he was. So anytime, anytime Carl Anthony Towns does something good, I like it. I do. I really, really like it. All right, before we thank you, before we go to break, let me go back to our top story. NFL gone wild. NFL gone insane. But I don't care. I don't. I don't care whether you have 10 LGTQB ABCD nights, because I don't care who you're having sex with. And I'll tell you something else. I am, though, a little tired of the entire victim thing. Everybody's a victim. Everybody in the LGBTQ, if you don't just align with us, you're a victim. I don't align with you. I don't not align with you. I don't either way with you. I don't care who you're having sex with. Well, don't be up too, Stock. It's just much more than that. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like, hey, if that's a lifestyle, great. I don't care about your lifestyle. I'm sorry, I don't. Just like I don't care about a friend of mine who is a bachelor's lifestyle. I don't care. Why should anybody care? Why should, he, why should anybody promote their, quote, sexual lifestyle? What do I care? I don't. So if the NFL, who, by the way, before everybody that is a blue-blooded American male gets their panties in a bunch. This was announced yesterday, but this has been going on since 06. The only time they didn't have this, you can put that up there, the gay, lesbian pride night, uh, LGBTQ pride night. The only time they didn't have it was during the pandemic, 20. That's it. It's the only time they didn't have it. So they've had this thing forever. So don't get worked up about it. I mean, I don't know if you got to honor it. I don't know if you got to say, you know, hey, uh, this is the greatest thing ever. But again, I don't care. And if more people were like me, then you, there wouldn't be a need for everybody having a prayer. There wouldn't be a need. And people would go about their business. The NFL has also given us the Black National Anthem. All right. I mean, what are you going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not setting my timer for the white national anthem. I'm not setting my timer for the black national anthem. God bless America. Hey, what time does the game start? If people want to keep dividing our country, then keep dividing our country. There's money in dividing our country. Nicole Hannah-Jones, she knows there's money in dividing our country. She's an activist. She says that the current national anthem, well, it's racist. Started by racists. The white national anthem is played. It was written by racist enslaver who delivered black people, who believed black people were inferior and fought abolitionists in the courts. Did not become our national anthem until 1930s, practically because the song itself has racist lyrics. Oh, say, can you see? I don't know. If I had to sing the national anthem, I would screw it up. What about you, Aaron? I'd screw it up. You think you wouldn't, but I just did right there. Y'all really should not boast your historical ignorance so loudly in an effort to constantly be aggrieved about the country you remain on top of. Yeah, I don't know. You know, you can say remain on top of. I don't know. How about we just build a country? How about everybody jump in together and build a country? Now, she can look all concerned in her little red hair and all that kind of stuff. Good for her. But she ain't telling me nothing. I'm not listening to this woman. I don't care what this woman has to say. I care about the Super Bowl. You want to play the white anthem? Play it. You want to play the black anthem? Play it. Have a great time. 
But don't forget the Hermanaki wings from the Ale Emporium. And this lady can walk around the world being all the mad or all the righteous or all the whatever she wants to be. But just always remember, when you see folks like this, it pays to divide. There's a reason it's divide and conquer. It pays to divide. Divide, and then you can conquer. If you had to do something on your own merits, you couldn't do jack squat. We'll be right back. Hey, look, here's the deal. I'm looking forward to this. We're going to honor some dudes. Bradley Pinion is a punter for the Falcons. Bradley Pinion, Bradley Pinone, I'm going to make sure we know how to say his name, is the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee from the Atlanta Falcons. Trying to get Teddy Karras. You know Teddy Karras Jr. Jr., one of our favorites. I was texting with his dad. He is the Cincinnati Bengals. Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. Let's make sure, uh, fellas, that we get how to say uh, Bradley Pinone's name right. We're back with him. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, this is the best award that there is. It's the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. And uh, I want to celebrate the good guys of the NFL. And look, 99% of guys in sports are good guys, regardless of what you may read or see. But Bradley Pinion joins us. He's a punter for the Atlanta Falcons. All right. In college, you, you, you went to a couple different colleges. You ended, up at, uh, you ended up at Clemson. So, you know, dabble is your coach, all that kind of stuff. NFL, you don't have a coach. Does it, does it change anything for you in the offseason not having a coach, or are you just like the rest of us where you're looking for news wherever you can get it on who's going to be the new coach? I'm just like the rest of you, honestly. I was scrolling through Bleacher Report and ESPN and all the Fox News and everything this morning trying to figure out who our coach is going to be. Um, but I'm just like the rest of y'all. And fortunately enough, well, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, I've uh, been through this, like, this will be my fourth time going through a new coach. Um, <laughs> and when I was out in San Francisco, I went through three head coaches in four years and had two in Tampa. And um, so it was uh, nothing I'm, uh, I guess, unfortunately new to. So it's just kind of a wait and see process. And uh, you just hope that they, uh, well, I know Atlanta, it's a great organization. They'll, they'll pick the best fit and um, we'll get rocking and rolling. Well, let, let's go to this because, you know, Bill Belichick may be the guy. How you fix for that? You okay with that? You know, Bill's one of the best coaches to ever do it. Um, it's always good to play with uh, some of the greatest. I mean, I got to, was fortunate to play with Tom Brady. Um, so I, I figure it's probably be a little similar to Tom. Um, I know they had their differences, but they, 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 were, they both know how to win. Um, so I'm honestly not going to hate any coach. Like I said, Atlanta knows, knows what they're doing. Uh, Mr. Blank's a, a great owner. Rich McKay 
um, great person. And we have organizations, just an amazing organization. So I know they're going to pick an amazing head coach. And uh, I'm just excited, man. I mean, change is not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. Um, so I, I'm excited to see who we pick and excited to get rolling whenever OTA start up. I know it'll be a little earlier than normal. And um, just to go out there and compete and do our best to win. We got a great team here in Atlanta. We're, we're young. Um, we're, we're, we got some studs with Bijan and Drake London and Jesse Bates and Kyle Pitts. They're all these just phenomenal all pro pro bowl players. And um, man, we're, we're so close to breaking through and being in the playoffs and making a, making a run at it. Last thing on the coaching deal, you know, players aren't dumb players. I've always said NFL players are really smart. Like, I mean, really smart. You get to a point in a season where it starts because Atlanta has a pretty strong football media, obviously. And now all of a sudden you don't know if your coach is going to be there. And there's four, five, three, four, five, whatever games left. Does that kind of stuff infiltrate the locker room? And if so, how? Um, I mean, the the guys hear it. It's hard not to hear it, Um, whether it's whatever avenue of media. I mean, you're going to hear it. Um, but I would say our locker room is really tight. Um, our locker room really relies on each other and we don't really listen to the outside noise too much. Um, but it's, it's hard not to, but your, your job is to go out there and compete and to try to play your best for whoever's, whoever's coaching you. Um, so yeah, I won't say it infiltrates the locker room, but it does. Um, you do hear it and you do recognize it. And our goal is to make sure no coach ever gets fired, honestly. Um, so our goal is to go out there and win every single game. Um, so no matter who our coach is, that's what, that's what this team's going to do. Hey, you mentioned the playoffs. What have you seen so far? Let me walk you through a couple teams. Okay. Tampa Bay, they end up falling a little bit short. You know, Green Bay makes a nice run. Um, what have you seen thus far in the playoffs? Well, you know, everybody was talking about how Tampa, I mean, I have a little sweet spot for Tampa. I want a Super Bowl there. So um right right i was talking about how tampa wasn't going to be good wasn't going to be good but what people didn't realize is the only thing they really didn't have was tom they still had the basically the whole team from when they won the super bowl um so it's tampa's run didn't surprise me um baker i love baker he's a great player he's fiery um and then you have a good young team like green bay i mean i think they're probably the youngest team in the nfl and they're going to be good for many years to come with an up-and-coming quarterback that is still figuring out the ropes but has tattooed some, some great mentors. Um, and you got the Lions. I mean, I love Dan Campbell. I love his mentality and how he's got that team fired up to win and to compete every single time. Um, you got another one of my former teams, San Francisco. Um, Shanahan and Lynch are two great leaders. And um, Brock Purdy, me and him actually have the same agent. So I, I love Brock. And uh, he's he's a stud. Um, I can't stand the backlash that he gets for not being a good quarterback. I mean, the dude knows how to win. I mean, what else do you need to be for to be a good quarterback? And then, of course, you have Patrick Mahomes um, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, that that's Andy Reid's a heck of a coach. Patrick's a, one of the greatest to ever play football. Um, you got the Kelsey. You I mean you got those people are loaded. Um, then you got Lamar Jackson. I mean, you can't Lamar's Lamar. I mean, you can't deny what he's doing and what he's done. Um, one of the again, another one of the greatest quarterbacks to do it. Um, I was I loved Houston's little run. Um, I think Stroud's a amazing, amazing player. I love that he puts Christ first in every single interview that he does, um, and just leads with Christ. Um, Jamarco or D'Amico Ryan's. Um, he was I was with him in San Francisco. Um, knew he was going to be a heck of a head coach. I mean, he's just phenomenal, phenomenal human being. 
Um, so, I mean, I love watching the playoff, playoff football. It's probably one of my favorite things to watch. My wife is like, are you not tired of football yet? And I was like, no, not, <laughs> not at all. Uh, the playoffs are right, right, where, right where I love watching. Um, would love to be in them, but uh, the playoffs are so much fun to watch. And there's so many good teams and good players out there. They're led by great coaches and great organizations. And it, it's just, I mean, the playoffs are, there's nothing like it, if you ask me. The closest thing to it is March Madness, and it still doesn't touch it. You know, it's funny. So you are really just like the rest of us. Your wives are on your ass saying, hey, are you done with football yet? Is it over? I want to go to Dan Campbell real quick. From a player's standpoint, I coached for a long time college basketball. And the one thing I learned as a head coach and as an assistant is you better be authentic. You can't fake what Dan Campbell is bringing or else players see right through that. That has to be authentic every day, right? Hundred um, percent, and and like you can see it through the media, just what he says. I mean, a little bit of a no filter guy, um, and he believes in it. And when when you have a leader that believes in what they're saying wholeheartedly, the players are going to buy into. Um, and that's one of the coolest things to see is when you take a team like Detroit who hasn't made the playoffs or hasn't won a playoff game in what like thirty something years, um, and you you see them and what they're doing now, making it to the NFC Championship game. Um, I think it rides fully a lot on Dan Campbell's belief he's instilled in that organization and the belief that he's instilled in those players and the team that they put together. Um, I mean, you can just feel it when we play, we had, we played up in Detroit this year and you could feel the energy in that stadium shift. I played there numerous times and it was a whole new energy that I've never seen out of, out of Detroit football. Um, but it, it's cool. It's cool to see. I, I never really pull for anybody to lose unless they're playing against obviously the team that I'm on. Um, I love seeing good football and good coaching, and that's exactly what Dan Campbell's doing. He's putting together hard, old-school, hard-nosed football, um, and he's got those guys bought in and just just playing out their minds right now. You know, all right, what what is it like Tom Brady comes into the building with the with the Tampa Bay Bucks? Here's what I said. I wanted, I'm in Indianapolis, and we were looking for a quarterback, ended up with Phillip Rivers, which was great. But I'm like, when Tom Brady comes in the building, everybody's got to sit up a little straighter. Everybody's got to pay attention. I don't know. Is it like that, or is it just another guy walking in the building? Um, you know what's really funny is, as soon as I saw that we signed Tom when I was in Tampa, I look at my wife. We were driving somewhere, and I said, hey, we need to write down who we want to give our Super Bowl tickets to right now. She was like, you're full of it. Y'all need to make the playoffs last year. Like, one player's not going to do this. One player's not going to do that. I was like, no, we're doing this. Like, right now, make a list of who we're going to put on, who we're going to give Super Bowl tickets to. So when that time comes, we don't have to worry about it anymore. And sure enough, that same year, we go to the Super Bowl, and we go right back to that list and give the Super Bowl tickets out. Tom's one of those players. Um, I personally think what makes Tom great is – not his football IQ, not his athleticism, because honestly, I don't think he's the most athletic person in the world. Um, but what makes him great is his ability to make every person on the team or in the organization, whether you're from a janitor, nutrition staff, weight staff, make you feel like you are the most important person to the team. And when you have somebody like that, it makes you want to play harder and it elevates you to another level. Um, and that's exactly what he, what he did. And that's exactly why Tampa went on the run that we did when I was there. Um, because Tom's leadership skills, um, I think, are, are unmatched. Um, but a guy like Tom, you definitely, I won't say you sit up straighter and do anything like that. Um, I think you, you treat him like a normal teammate. Um, there's a respect there. But 
he, he's also just one of the guys and he's just a competitor an ultimate competitor and he just wants to win football games and as long as you treat him like one of the guys that's how i think he preferred to be treated um talk just as much smack to him as i would the kicker that i'm with every single day so um Tom, tom's just a, an awesome an awesome guy an awesome leader and that's what separates him yeah you know um well having said that he's gone tampa's out you just get who do you think is the best team in each division right now uh, i think it's hard to say san francisco um is not the best team right now in the nfc um, just from what they did all year, um, the quarterback that they have, the supporting cast around them with Debo, Bosa, Kittle, Ayuk. Um, they, I mean, you got Fred Warner, I think, is arguably the, probably the best linebacker in the NFL right now. Um, doesn't get the respect he deserves a lot of the time. Um, and then I think in the AFC, I mean, it's hard to bet against Lamar and what the Ravens are doing. I think Harbaugh um, is another one, kind of like Dan Campbell, is just – you, you believe he believes in what he's saying and the players buy into that. Um, so if I had to pick my Super Bowl matchup, I think it's San Fran Baltimore. Um, and then from there, man, it is up in the air. I have no idea. I think if San Fran can stay healthy, um, they win it all. I'm pulling for San Fran to win it all. Um, I have a little soft spot in my heart for San Fran because it was a team that drafted me. Uh, so I might be a little biased in that one, but uh, I think San Fran Baltimore. Um, you can't argue with what they're doing on both sides of the ball right now. Punts for a purpose. I see you got the gear on. You know, Compassion International's The Fight for First campaign. What is that? The Punt for Purpose actually is a program, I got to give credit to my wife, um, that she kind of came up with, and I just kind of took it and ran with it from there. Uh, so Punt for Purpose is a initiative that we, we've kind of done something similar in the past, but for every plant down inside the 20-yard line, my wife and I um, donated $1,000 uh, to Compassion's Fight for First program. And the Fight for First program helps um, moms and babies um, in poverty. Um, so there's some stats that are like 4 million babies die per year. Um, of those, a million die on their first day. 850 moms die during from childbirth complications a year. Um, it's something that we actually got to go to Tanzania with Compassion this past off season, and it's something that we see, saw firsthand. And we were like, "Man, we got to do more." And then just so happened we got pregnant and had our baby, and couldn't imagine going through that process without the support that we had um, here in Atlanta from the hospitals and everything. And I couldn't imagine doing that in a in a mud hut, honestly, like we saw in Tanzania. Um, so it's something that was near and dear to our heart, and something that we wanted to. Um, start and continue to do and then had the idea of like hey how about we try to get more punters involved um, so I honestly slid in the DMs about just every single punter in the NFL um, and was like hey this is what I'm doing um, would love to have you join in kind of make this a league-wide punter thing um, and we ended up having five guys do it for the whole season um, and then we had one game um, um, around the holidays this past year um, where we had it was I think it was 14 punters, so almost half the league, basically half the league joined in for one game. Um, and I was just talking to Compassion this morning. Um, we've raised, the punters alone have raised over $100,000 uh, for Compassion's Fight for First program. And for every $1,000 raised, um, that goes straight to a mom and baby. So we're able to help so many moms and babies. And if you don't have children or if you don't know the support that you need when you, when you have a child, I mean, that's huge. Um, for these moms and babies, it helps them get to um, their first year of birth. That's what the fight for first is, get to that first that first birthday. 
and it helps them get to that, helps them through childbirth, or provides them with all these needs and um, supplies that you, they didn't have before. Um, and because the punters around the league were gracious enough to join in and um, get involved, I mean, it, it's blown out the water from what I expected it to be this year. I thought it was just going to be me and maybe one other person that I'm really close with in the NFL, but we've had, like I said, almost 15 guys um, donate, and we've raised a ton of money that's going to it's going to help these moms and babies more than more than people know. Um, it's just really cool, really humbled by the the guys in the league that wanted to get involved. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I can't thank them enough um, because going through the birthing process and the pregnancy process with my wife, while starting up this initiative, even added more fuel to the fire. Um, and it's something that only uh, really only you can understand when, if you've gone through it. And it's something that um, I really think, firmly believe that God kind of put its hand on and took over. And um, it's really cool to see how, it, how it's played out and how it's worked. Need to get our boy McAfee to dig into those deep pockets and let's go. I mean, he, you know, for the brand, baby, let's go. I know, let's man. Go, I mean, I've, I have reached out to McAfee. <laughs> I know McAfee pretty well, and I've reached out to him. And I don't know if I'm just a small fry in his pond now or what. Um, but... Uh, yeah, Pat's a great guy, and we're, we're trying to get him on board. I'm trying to send him some gear. I'm going to cut off the sleeves for him and everything. Yeah. And, uh, get get some of that ESPN money in there on it. Yeah, his studio's literally – he lives right here. He lives like a block away from me. His studio's over here about a block. I see him. I'm going to tell him, what are you doing? Support another brand. Support a frick another punter, one of your brothers in punting. Let's go with those deep-ass right. FanDuel ESPN pockets. Let's go. Right. Exactly. Hey, I, exactly. <laughs> Bradley, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. That's uh, Bradley Pena. He is the punter, and he is the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for the Atlanta Falcons. I love it, man. Friend of our family, Teddy Karras Jr., he's a Walter Payton nominee for the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to try to get him on. I just want to celebrate all the good dudes in sports, man. I mean, while we're going to have we're going to have presidential candidates, we're going to have Charles Bart. We got all these guys come on. I like the good dudes in sports, and Bradley is one of those good dudes, man, doing some great things. So if you can't punch for a purpose, get out there and support a good dude. All right, hey, uh, one of my good friends. He's one of the most underrated basketball coaches in the history of college basketball. He's won national championship as an assistant coach and. He's now out at Santa Clara, and he just kicked the living hell out of Gonzaga. His name is Herb Sendick, and Herb, uh, coaching at Santa Clara, is making a name for Santa Clara. He had a big win, as I said, over Gonzaga, and Hoybee is going to join us next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned.
545 wins. That's what this man, Herb Sendick, one of the great college basketball coaches uh, of all time. But Herb and I go way back. I'd forgotten that I used to regale you and Billy Donovan with our crazy-ass stories at Indiana basketball. And maybe I should have shut up because you and Billy both working for Patino. I guarantee your stories were probably better than mine. No, I think that's what made it so great is Billy and I would listen to you and you're a great storyteller and you would have us in tears and then we'd be in the car driving back to campus from recruiting and start telling our own stories and it, it was it was right. unbelievable. Hey, uh, speaking of Patino, are you surprised? You know, okay, the Louisville things happen. He goes out to Greece. You know, are you surprised he's back in it? Not at all. I mean, um, he just is an incredible competitor. In fact, the year that he didn't coach, he actually came out and, and spent a couple days with us here at Santa Clara and um, just has a tremendous fire. And uh, so I'm not surprised and I'm equally not surprised that he's doing so well. Um, he, he's amazing. You know, I, I, I'm watching him, and, and, and when, you, when you see his teams now, you were with him, you know, from jump. You were with him from the get-go. Um, how much – people always talk about evolving and changing and all that kind of stuff. How much has he evolved? How much have you – you've been doing this for 30 years, more than 30 years. How much have you evolved? How important is evolving as a coach? It's it's absolutely essential. I mean, if you don't evolve, you can't survive. And and I I don't think that's unique to coaching. I think that's true in any business, you know, especially if you're in a leadership position. If you can't evolve, um, it, it's really almost impossible uh, to stay with anything. And I think Coach Patino is, you know, first and foremost, brilliant. And he has evolved. And that doesn't mean he has changed his bedrock principles. That doesn't mean he's changed the core of who he is and how he does things. I think those things are relatively constant, but you have to evolve. And our game has evolved. I mean, the way we play today is so different um, than the way we used to play. I, I can remember being at Miami of Ohio and uh, driving up to Bloomington one day in, in the spring to spend with you and, and Ron Felling to get more intricate with the motion offense. Um, but even in the last five years, the game has changed. So you have to constantly uh, stay with it. And, and to be honest with you, Dan, that's one of the things I love most about coaching. You know, I love learning. I, I love um, getting new ideas. I mean, that keeps it, it fun for me. You know, you guys just had a big win over Gonzaga. And um, I, Gonzaga, people can say what they'd like, whether you like Gonzaga, I, I don't know. But Gonzaga was one of the first, I think you'd agree with this, non-Power 5 places that elevated the basketball program and everything that they did to high, 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 the highest of major private planes, chefs, that kind of stuff, right? How much has Gonzaga influenced West Coast basketball? I think they've set an incredibly high bar, and I think they've challenged the rest of us in our conference including the, maybe the entire West Coast, to be better. And uh, what they've done over the last 25, 30 years is just absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's hard to, to get to the top. Um, it's even harder sometimes to stay there. And, and their sustained success is, is just in, remarkable. And uh, you're right. I mean, you know, 
they've not only been the top of our league, but I mean, year after year, they've been, you know, in that conversation among the very best teams in the country. And uh, it's really a great story, the last quarter century in college, college basketball. Herb, Herb, you you studied it. You know, you you you've been a lot of different places. You're a Pittsburgh East Coast guy. You've been at Arizona State. Now you're in Santa Clara. People talk about this all the time, and I, I would I would defer to you over anybody, literally anybody I know. What's is there a difference East Coast basketball, North Carolina State, ACC, and what you see out west, Pac-12, that kind of thing? You know, maybe a one time there was Dan, but but I think there's been so much you know, transplant, you know, coaches from the East going West, coaches from the West going East, kids going to school everywhere, kids from outside the country coming here to play. Um, I, I think at this point, it's 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 very similar. It's very much the same. I don't think there's those stark differences. Um, you know, geography doesn't mean much anymore. Heck, look at what we've done with the conferences. Um, so coaches have moved all around. Players have crisscrossed. And so I, I think... There's not as as many um, geographic differences as maybe there once was, you know, back in the day where, you know, people tended to stay more in their area. How does a school, well, let me go a different route here. Do you have an advantage, and how am I going to put this? Do you have an advantage at Santa Clara where you're not competing with the football dollars? You know, like a mediocre... You know, I, do, do you have an advantage to stay afloat and, and, and be competitive? Yeah, I think I think one of the real advantages is just just energy consumption. You know, I've been at football schools and it's 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 not just the dollars, but when you have football, um, everybody from marketing to finance to you you know every single satellite of the athletics department has a tremendous amount amount more on their desk every day the energy consumption that goes into football in a department it, it can be really draining and, and that's even some of these big departments we have today with you know so many members uh, on staff um, I think that's one of the advantages of, of being at a Santa Clara um, you know we don't have that energy consumption that football requires you know, Herb, I didn't realize this. You coached at a school that had hockey. I coached at a school that had hockey, Bowling Green. I had no idea yeah. that hockey was an energy type of thing, too, within an athletic department. Played at the same time you're playing basketball, and football is still the biggest deal, or at least has the most fans. I, I didn't realize the drain of hockey on a program. No, absolutely. In fact, when, when I first started at Providence, I mean, a legendary hockey program. Uh, the great Lou Lamarillo was our athletics director, and he had been the head coach of hockey and had a beautiful, beautiful arena. And uh, it was it's really big time. And uh, then, of course, in Miami of Ohio, you know, playing against Bowling Green in hockey, I mean, it, it was, you know, a, a, a real stellar sport for us. And, and people really got into it, and the energy in the building was incredible. You know, you don't have, I always said this about Indiana. Like, if Indiana started a hockey program uh, because of the money they could generate, they, Bowling Green had, like, three guys on the Miracle on Ice, that kind of thing. Indiana could surpass Bowling Green in the tradition very quickly because of the money involved. How does money 
for you, for somebody at, at Santa Clara, how does money factor in, uh, well, it's NIL, recruiting, that type of thing. Are you involved in that? Yeah, I think you have to be. And, uh, you know, and maybe there's, maybe there's one or two or three or four schools that right now so far have gotten by um, threading the needle, getting some really good players without it. But I think right now and certainly moving forward, if you're not going to participate at some level in NIL, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for you to have any measure of success. And so, you know, I, you, know you, could, you could take a poll, you can decide whether you're for it, against it, like it, don't like it. I mean, that train has left the station. You know, if, if you're going to if you're going to participate and compete today, you better figure out how you're going to have a robust NIL program. And of course, you know, having said that, we understand that like like in all aspects of college athletics, there's different levels of what's possible and what's realistic. I mean, it, it's it's not necessarily that, you know, we're all going to have the same um you know, kind of NIL programs. Different schools have different monies for facilities and they have different monies for NIL and they have different money for a lot of different things. And we're just not going to make it a level playing field. But to sit and say, well, hey, I, I mean, we're not doing that. If a kid wants NIL, we're not. Okay, well then, you know, go play a pickup <laughs> game somewhere because, right. you know, it's it just not going to happen for you over time. How do you do it? How, how, what, did you, how does an NIL fund collective, whatever you want to call it, how does that work, Herb? Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, you got to set up the plumbing and, and you know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, you, you, it operates through a collective. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's incumbent upon um, the institution to find ways, legal ways, to fund the collective. And so it's 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 actually you know become another um, fundraising enterprise for schools, and um, you know we you know we we could pretend it's not we can you know we could put a mustache and a hat on it, but basically it's pay for play, you know that's that's where we're at, and um, you know a lot of things have converged at once with. You know, the transfer rules with NIL, with the extra year of COVID, with conference realignment. And at no time has it been more important, I think, that, you know, college basketball um, have a commissioner, have a board of governors, um, be run independently of certainly football and, and maybe all other sports if we want the very best product and we don't continue to get caught chasing the train always reacting i got two things for you then i'm, then I'm gonna let you go one um cal perry and i have talked about this on national shows you know college basketball is the only sport that doesn't have two seasons college football has a spring my wife, a softball coach, they played in the fall and the spring. Volleyball plays in the spring and the fall. Baseball, same thing. 
He has talked about, look, you should have a, you should take over August. College basketball should take over August to draw interest in the sports. Right here, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, have tournaments. At Santa Clara, have tournaments. Okay, that's number one. And number two, I want your thoughts on that. And number two, you mentioned the word illegal. In your mind, is there anything in recruiting right now that is illegal? I mean, we have a bunch of rules that if you break them, you know, you've committed a violation, but almost all of those rules now um, fall below NIL. I mean, if if guys are making six figures to go to school, you know, what's the sense of having an occasional meal rule at a coach's house? You know what I mean? Like, okay, right, we, we right, have all yeah. these rules, yeah. but what does it matter anymore, you know, how many times – you know, you could take someone to eat in a month if the guy's making six figures. He could take you to eat. Right. You know, and it, it's almost like we got to start over. You know, it's almost like we just got to push pause for a minute. Um, have, a, have a different leadership governance structure. Say, okay, here's where we are today. This is what's working. This isn't what's working. And then to your question about Calipari, first of all, he may be the single best marketer I've ever seen. I mean, right. the guy is a right. marketing genius. So when he says something regarding marketing, like I'm saying, like, I don't want to disagree with this guy because <laughs> right. he knows marketing, right? Like he's in a whole nother world when it comes to marketing. And so if he says to do it, I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> um, but, but I think that's what, whether you think that's the thing to do or something else is a thing to do, I think we have to look at our sport in that way. I think we we need to turn it upside down and look at it and how do we make it better? And sometimes when you have to do that in concert with every other sport, right? Especially if football is attached, it just becomes too cumbersome to be agile enough to make those decisions. And um and sometimes the people who make those decisions aren't involved in the, you know, the ground of our sport, right? The decision makers aren't breathing college basketball 24-7. They have other jobs, other responsibilities. Um, and so, yeah, if Calipari says to do it, let's do it. I'm t- All right, uh, I'm going to let you go with this. We used to have these meetings. You know, a guy would come in from the NCAA and when I was at ESPN and Everybody talked about, you know, needing a commissioner. And I got to tell you, Herb, I always said you should be the commissioner. Everybody always at ESPN wanted Billis. Everybody said, I said, no, the the smartest guy who's been involved, who understands it is Herb Sendick. Herb Sendick should be the commissioner of college basketball. I've said it for years. I have. I've said it for years, and I believe it. I think you'd be the perfect human being to lead college basketball. I do. I wouldn't want the job if I were you, but I think you'd be perfect. Right. Hey, I don't know if I can take the job. I wear this hat for a reason. <laughs> no, me too. Thanks, my friend. Hey, good luck rest of the way. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's the great Herb Sendick. 550 wins, man. I mean, the dude has been coaching and coaching well. If you talk to coaches and you say, who is the best coach out there? A lot of them are going to say Herb Sendick. A lot of them are. I'm telling you right now. Uh, uh, he's been a great coach, not a good coach. He has been a great coach. Anybody that's ever coached against Herb Sendick will tell you this is a great coach, and he's probably the smartest guy in and around college basketball. 
And when I say that he should be the commissioner, I'm not joking. Like, they would ask us, okay, these big meetings, and you'd have all these guys that were announcers, and everybody that's an announcer thinks they're really smart. And they're like, hey, who should be the commissioner of college? I go, Herb Sendick. Who, what? I go, no, Herb Sendick should be. Serious. That's true. (laughs) Speaking of college basketball, my top five. Number five, I'm going with Kentucky. Look, you do, you say whatever you want to say, and I know they lost at Texas A&M. I don't care. When I watch Kentucky play, here's what you're going to see, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to see a team that every single possession offensively puts pressure on the defense. You know, over the course of a year, I get a lot of coaches that call me. They call me and they say, man, you watching anything you like? I go, yeah. The other day I had a head coach from a Power 5 school call me. He's been a friend of mine a long time, and he's like, hey, you uh, seen I go, yeah, watch Kentucky. Kentucky, every time down the court, they put pressure on the defense. They run like crazy. The guy who gets it is putting pressure on the defense, penetrate kick. Every time they come off a ball screen, boom, there they are. That team I like. And now they got big Z back, some big old Croatian or Serbian who just came out and dazzled everybody with behind-the-back passes, drilling three threes. They just got the kid eligible. Remember I told you this. What's the date today? Let me look here. What is the freaking date? It's the 23rd. On the 23rd of January, I told you, watch out for Kentucky and big old Z. Big Z. Now, number four, you talk about teams you don't want to play. Well, one of those would be the Tennessee Volunteers. Yes, they lost to Mississippi State, but since then they won at Georgia. Beat the living you-know-what out of Florida. And that was supposed to be a big game. And then beat the living you-know-what by 20 out of Alabama Slamma. Tennessee is the team you don't want to play. You don't want to play them. I'm sorry, you don't. Because they'll be more physical than you. They'll be in front of you. They're athletic on the other end. This kid Connect is a damn good player. They got out of the portal. And Rick Barnes, Rick Barnes knows his way around it. He's been sniffing around this for a zillion years, and nobody knows college hoops better than Rick Barnes. So if you're a Tennessee fan, I know what you're saying. Tennessee's got a little bit of that Purdue, don't they? They got a little bit of that Purdue in them. Where you go, wait a second here. Hold the phone. Let's see what happens in the tournament. I get it. I do. But as I watch college hoops, and I'm watching a ton of it these days, this team is one of those teams that you just don't want to play against. You don't. Period. I said it yesterday. I told you. People were on my backside. Dan, how don't you have Carolina in your top five? I watched them. I watched them last night. Carolina, pretty good. Carolina, back in business. Carolina took out a Wake team. Now, I go by coaches. You guys go by players. You guys go by five-star rankings, and you're probably smarter than me for doing that. But Steve Forbes is a hell of a basketball coach at Wake Forest. They got belly whomped. They were up one at halftime, and next thing you know, R.J. Davis just got rolling. It ended up being 21. Yes, we bet on North Carolina. The line was eight, and they did it with Baycott only only playing 35 minutes. Well, there's only 40 minutes. And in that 35 minutes, he only scored five points. Now, this is the National Player of the Week last week, Armando Baycott. Now, they cannot have Armando Baycott going south 
But R.J. Davis did R.J. Davis stuff. Listen to this. 36 points. 14 of 23 from the field. 4 of 8 from the three-point line. Don't at me, people. Don't at me. I got to give you an update. This is just a side thing. I grew up in Gary, Indiana, and there's a kid named Jalen Washington who's a great kid. One of the staff members at North Carolina called me. said, hey, man, there's this kid up in Gary. You know him, Jalen Washington. I said, nah, I don't know him. They go, well, how good is he? I go, I heard he's really good. I don't know the kid, but I heard he's really good. Yeah, he's 6'9", long. I go, yeah? You think you're going to get him? Yeah, I go, I'll tell you this. I guarantee you he quits at least twice, maybe three times. Us from Gary, Indiana, we quit. Now, Jalen hasn't quit, and I want him to have a great career, but every time I see a guy from Gary, Indiana, I always want the backside. How many times has he quit? Like, people told me Glenn Robinson quit three or four times at Purdue. I only quit once, but I never let Coach Knight know it. I just told my dad, and he's like, yeah, well, you can go to Evansville. How's that sound? I go, that doesn't sound very good. Screw Evansville. I'm staying at Indiana. I'll ride the pine. I'll try to figure it out. And if I can figure it out, then God bless me. (laughs) I'm telling you, Gary, Indiana, we'll quit on you. R.J. Davis will make shots on you. Your toes will be tapping if you bet on him. Number two, UConn. You can put number two and number one in. I'm going with UConn number two. Why? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, why would I have UConn? Why wouldn't I have UConn number one? Well, I I don't know. I'm not trying to be jerky here. I, I just, I don't know. I think Purdue's just as good. I think Purdue is the hardest team in the country. I think the hardest team in the country is the, uh, is the way to go about it. You know what I mean? That's the way to go about it. Hardest team to beat. I think Purdue is. I think you got to play a special game to beat Purdue. you got to play a special game to beat UConn. You do. But it's the hardest game to play. The hardest team to beat. Purdue. they got the monster... They got shooters, they got cocky, they got some wings. Look, UConn's great. And Tristan New, they're great. But my number one, and again, this can be number one, number one A, you make it however you want to make it. But the truth of the matter is, hardest team to beat, Purdue. Northwestern lost their mind to beat Purdue. Now, the game at Nebraska bothers me. The game in Nebraska really bothers me. You should never lose that game. You should never lose that game, ever, ever. That game should not be lost. You should not lose. You can lose in Northwestern. Hell, best teams in the country have gone in there and lost when Northwestern's lost their damn mind. But I'm just telling you right now, telling you now, Purdue's the hardest team to beat in America. And I, for one, am not even on January 23rd unless something else happens. I, for one, am not even thinking that they have a chance, not even a chance, to lose early. Like, if they would lose before the Sweet 16 or the Elite 8, I'd be shocked. If they don't make it to the Elite 8, I will be shocked. I guess I'd say the same thing last year, probably the year before. Hell, I don't know. But I would literally be shocked because this team is just tough. This team's aggressive. This team can shoot it. This team is no joke talking about Purdue now. Here's one of the things that you're going to, that I'm interested in. The Big Ten stinks. The Big Ten doesn't kind of stink. The Big Ten stinks. It does. So, you know, Purdue's not going to, they're going to be a one seed if they continue on this path. 
But they play Michigan tonight. It, it sucks for Purdue that this league stinks. Indiana stinks. Michigan stinks. Wisconsin's pretty good. Iowa State. I mean, it's a bad league. Hey, I got some stuff to get here, too. And uh, there's some amazing stuff going on here. Now, there really is. Um, I got to talk about this. Listen to this. Um, Mask-wearing protests. No, wait. I want to get to something else. I want to get to something else because this is not going to slow down, and I will always support my friend Riley Gaines. And women's golf tour is, well, they're going to poll the players. They're going to take a poll of the players on the women's golf tour to ask about transgender golfers taking testosterone as we move forward. They want to poll players and say, hey, well, let's show it here. The women's golf tour responded to backlash after Haley Davidson, who is a dude, doesn't even hide being a dude, just won a tournament in Florida to increase her chances of earning a spot on the LPGA tour. Now, the commission acknowledged the views on whether it is fair that Davidson is competing against biological females and said the league will poll its players on its transgender inclusion policies and ask Davidson to undergo additional testosterone testing to ensure compliance with appropriate guidelines. I, I'm going to tell you my thought on this. My thought on this, it seems like Let's just say the cat is out of the bag. Let's just say that we are where we are with transgender and everybody's afraid to stand up. But can't you just do an Olympic-type model? Can't you have these unbelievable scientists that we have in this world, these unbelievably smart people? Now, I want you to stay with me on this, Gritty. Can't you, st- can't you just say, hey, look, look. If you're above this level of testosterone, you're a dude. You ain't playing. If you're below this level, then you're playing. Or whatever the own is, estrogen, whatever. All these smart people can come up with a scientific way, and this seems so ridiculous to me, to prove that a woman is a woman and a man is a man. Don't we have this? Didn't we go through this in the 70s with the Yugoslavians and the Russians and the Czechoslovakians? Didn't we go through this? with the doping and the dudes with kind of penises swimming against women. Didn't we go through this? I thought we did. I thought we set up parameters whereby we would have a very baseline of this is a woman. You can compete against women. This is not a woman. Go compete against the men. Why is this so difficult? Now, if you're going to pull players, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, I am saying if you are, if you don't have a vajayjay, if you weren't born a woman, you ain't playing. Why am I doing that? That's not, it's not about you, transgender uh, protester. It's not. It's about me protecting my job. I don't need a bunch of Haley Davidsons coming in here as men and winning men's golf or women's golf tournaments. I don't need that. Hey, it's hard enough. I don't know if you've known, look at this dude. But over in Korea, they have developed a system in South Korea where they are producing the finest women golfers in the world. Just check out an LPGA leaderboard. Just check it out. See where people are from. South Korea. Countries, to play and participate and be a champion in golf, 
you have got to beat the world. It's really the only sport where they say world number one rating. The world championship in the NBA is meaningless. It's not a world championship. It's the NBA championship. But to golf, you're the world's number one. Tennis, you're the world's number one. The world's number one. You know, baseball and basketball are a little bit like that, too. I mean, it used to be you'd look at all the Americans who are juniors, who are seniors. Uh, all right, he's coming out in the draft, but he's a senior. He had a good year. He's going to get drafted. Now, by the end of the, or by the f- end of the first round of the NBA draft, you have no idea who in the hell is out there. You have no idea who the guy is. You have no idea what country the man is from. None. Half the time. And don't even get me into the second round. So it's truly a world sport. If you're going to ask me, and I am a woman on the woman's tour, do I want transgender? Hell no. If you're born a woman and you want to transition to a man, go play on the PGA Tour. If you're born a man and you want to transition to a woman, go play on the PGA Tour. I've said this before and I'll say this again. Why does it always have to be I'm transitioning I play with the women. I told you about Yale. I told you. They had a woman transitioning to a man, softball. He, she is playing softball with the women. Not baseball, with the women. Leah Thomas is a dude transitioning to a female. Who'd Leah Thomas swim against? Women. Go from woman to man, you compete against women. Go from man to woman, you compete against women. Makes no sense. Should be the other way around. I guarantee you this. I guarantee you the dudes on the L or on the PGA tour, first take might be, yeah, I don't care. We'll beat their ass anyway. Second take would be, oh, hell no. Hell no. So now here's also the deal with this. If you are going to, now think about this. Anything that is said that isn't, oh, golly gee, I support you 100% is when they're talking about transgender, is seen as hate, putting people in jeopardy, dangerous speech. If you don't say, oh, I embrace everything, it's dangerous. That's their way of getting around all this stuff. It's crap. It's total crap. So if you're going to be polled as a woman, are you going to want your response out there? Are you going to want, look, You go to a women's basketball game, it's a haven for lesbians. You go to a women's golf tournament, which I used to every year, the Jamie Farr Classic, it's a haven for lesbians. No big deal, it's great. But if somebody finds out that uh, Susie Rottencrotch voted, I don't want transgender women on my tour, you don't think those people are going to be out there at every tournament accusing her of hate speech, of bigotry? Hell, uh, Sage Steele got accused of bigotry for simply saying a woman's a woman and a man's a man. That's bigotry in this world. By her own, by her own colleagues. You want to ask trans, if transgender uh, golfers should submit to a testosterone exam? I say do it every week. That's what I say. Hey, we've had this in the Olympics, have we not? This is a weird story. I got a weird one for you. We caught a weird one. I don't think this is true. Uh, The Kansas City Chiefs went into Buffalo and beat the Buffalo Bills. Donovan Smith is a Kansas City Chief. He claims that someone shut off the hot water. 
in the Kansas City Chiefs locker room postgame. Now, now, the Chiefs are saying, oh, contraire, this is false. Now, I agree with the freaking, it caught a damn L, and they shut our hot water off. Shake my head, it's all good, we got that dub today. Uh, I think you're full of crap. I'm not thinking you're telling us the truth. Here is the response from the Buffalo Bills. That's false. There's no way to turn hot water off on one side of or the other. There are two huge hot water tanks which feed both home and away locker rooms. It's no different than in your house. When the water runs continuously, it will struggle to keep up with demand. Everything for hot water in the locker room was upgraded during recent renovations. That's from the Erie County Press Secretary, Pete Anderson. Now look, I'll believe a lot of things. I know for a fact that Bill Polian got mad at my former college roommate, Mike Fox. Mike Fox ran the old Hoosier Dome. Polian was pissed and actually got a little physical with Foxy because the locker room of the visiting team, I believe it was the Patriots, was the right temperature. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. It was the right temperature. That, I said that accurately. It was the right temperature. Not No, Polian wanted it, I, I can't remember, too hot or too cold. I can't remember which. That's funny. See, that's been going on forever. You know, Boston Garden, Celtics, Lakers, if you watch that winning time, you know Red Arback turned the heat up in the garden, turned the plumbing off. But I'm not buying it in the modern era. I am. I think Donovan, I think old Donovan Smith, I think you are full of crapola. I do. All right. Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen. We got some curse words coming. You know I love me some curse words. Mask-wearing protesters disrupt. They disrupted. They did it. They went and disrupted the Australian Open by launching a free Palestine paper across the frickin' stadium. Let's have a look. that at the end. Look, we don't need littering. Charge him with littering. Charge him with hate crime. Charge him with everything. You go to a tennis match, you just want to have a sit. You want to have a sit. You got your hat on to take away the sunshine. You just want to have a sit. You want to enjoy. You don't want to be bothered. And next thing you know, you got crazy lady throwing papers everywhere. Come on. There you go. And they always look the same. 17 times vaccinated, got a mask, war crimes and genocide, free Palestine. What? Just stop. They always look the same. 
They do. They always look the same. It's amazing to me. Uh, the Jim Harbaugh watch, isn't this interesting? Isn't this an interesting deal? So Jim Harbaugh, I never thought this would happen. I honestly didn't. I want you to think back two or three years ago. Would you ever think Jim Harbaugh and Bill Belichick would be competing for the same job in the NFL? The Atlanta Falcons have interviewed Belichick twice, and now they're bringing Harbaugh in again. He's got a second interview. How about them apples? I never, ever, ever thought in a million years that Jim Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, dueling for the Atlanta Falcons job. I wonder what kind of odds you could get for that. I wonder what kind of odds you could get that says, hey, look, I'll bet you in the coming year that Harbaugh and Belichick, I'm talking about three years ago, Harbaugh and Belichick will be in second interview phase with Arthur Blank and the Atlanta Falcons. Life comes at you fast, people. Comes at you fast. I mean fast. I mean stupid fast. And much to the excitement of Aaron Spielberg, our executive producer, Eric Bieniemy, is getting an interview, a second interview, with, guess, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, yes, the Washington Commanders the team that he went to this year. Eric Bieniemy is too tough on players. My ass. And by the way, Ron Rivera has been seen scouting around trying to get defensive coordinator gigs anywhere that he can. Good for him. But I got to tell you, Eric Bieniemy may be the answer. I mean, what the hell? Are you going to get Harbaugh? Do you want Harbaugh if you're the commanders? Does Harbaugh want you? Does Belichick want you? I mean, look, there is a storied history in Washington of the Redskins or commanders. I don't know. What I do know is this. What I do know is Eric Bieniemy. well, Kansas City certainly moved on without a problem. Eric Bieniemy, I like because Eric Bieniemy is considered too tough as a coach. And if you're considered too tough as a coach, then I like you. I think we need more toughness in the coaching profession. I think we need more toughness on the sidelines and less ass-kissing. Speaking of ass-kissing, you know what all the rage is in the NFL? Indie fans, you'll like this. Frank Reich, offensive coordinator. Where? Philadelphia. Philadelphia got rid of everybody except Nick Sirianni. I'm telling you, sports comes at you fast. Nick Sirianni, about, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, was MF and fans. He was all the rage. They were 10 and 1. He was saying, I don't want to hear this S about uh, Kansas City anymore. Next thing you know, he's in there. Fast forward after being 10 and 1 and getting bounced out of the playoffs, he's in there begging for his job and he agrees to fire all kind of coordinators. So, you know who they want back? They want back our buddy, the great Frank Reich. Hey, look, I'm down with it. I'm sure Frank Reich is a great guy to have as long as he doesn't have to be the bad cop. As long as he can be good cop. And the thing about being good cop or bad cop is when you're the head coach, you got to do a little of both. And he was never good at the discipline part. Never good. Not even a little. I got a bunch more to get to you. How about this? Um, Jordan Love got encouraged, and this is nice to see, by Brett Favre. Brett Favre says, I believe you can be the best Packers quarterback ever. Huh. Really? The best Packers quarterback ever? 
Here's his tweet. He says this, great game, tough loss for my Packers. I'm sure I speak for all Packer fans when I say we are very proud of you and can't wait to see what the future holds. Lots to be excited about. Jordan, keep your chin up because I can believe, or I believe you can be the best Packers quarterback ever. Now, now, we, we, we got to ask a question. Do you think Brett Favre is being sincere here? Do you think Brett Favre is being disingenuous? Do you think Brett Favre is trying to make, and maybe he doesn't need it, I don't know, is he trying to make a comeback from those awful stories where there are lawsuits or were lawsuits or maybe still are lawsuits against Brett Favre taking money that was supposed to go to COVID patients or welfare victims, I guess, and taking it and using it for a volleyball practice facility at Southern Miss where he went and his daughter plays volleyball. Now, maybe he's just trying to get out in front of another story by being nice, or maybe he's just being nice. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's just being nice. But I, when it comes to Brett Favre, I give it one of these. I'm under-eyeing you. Why are you under-eyeing me, Dockich? I'm under-eyeing you. I am. I'm under-eyeing you. I'm not having it. Hey, Shaq says he doesn't want to be a celebrity. Shaq says most celebrities are jackasses. Oh, okay. Shaq did this about four or five years ago, but Shaq is a celebrity. You know why I had to denounce myself from being a celebrity about six, seven years ago? Celebrities are blank holes. They just are. I never want to be in that category. A lot of these people, when they come to a certain status, it automatically gives them the right to think they're smarter than you, they're better than you, they're bigger than you, and I never wanted to be like that. Good for Shaq attack. I wonder if people that know Shaq are laughing at this or are, yeah, that's Shaq. I don't know, but I know there's always a backstory. There's always a backstory. Here's the thing. I say this all the time. What Shaq just said right there is why so many politicians get in trouble. Why you saw something like Clarissa Thompson a few weeks ago just trying to be one of the cool kids, thinking because she got to a certain level as a sideline or a host or whatever the hell she is, she could say whatever she wanted without consequence because she reached a cool kid level. That's why politicians who were basically and writers who were basically dorks their entire life, it's why they all of a sudden get in trouble. They don't know how to handle any type of celebrity. They don't know how to handle any type of recognition. It's just what they don't do. They don't know how. And that's cool. That's fine. But the fact of the matter is, Shaq ain't wrong. And in college basketball, I always say this. We got to listen to these little kids for a couple of years. We got to listen to Nigel Hayes way back in Wisconsin walking around saying he's got no, no money. We got to listen to the little kid, Jordan Buhanna, who got punched out in the bar. And then they go away. And then somebody else comes in and we got to listen to him. I don't like listening to him. Yeah, I just don't. Jim Harbaugh, we talked about. Brett Favre, we talked about. Matt Patricia, isn't this interesting? Matt Patricia is out in Philadelphia. This is really fascinating to me. If you remember, Matt Patricia, and I'm telling you, sporting life comes at you fast. Fast. Here's the deal. Matt Patricia, when he had the thing in his ear, on the sideline, win his Super Bowl, 
with Bill Belichick was all the rage. Like, he was a different kind of football coach, a D3 guy, an analytics guy, a smart guy, by all accounts, a genius. As he stood there with his clipboard, hat, pensive look. Looked like he was smarter than everybody. I thought he was smarter than everybody. He looked like he was smarter than everybody. And then he goes to Detroit, and he's a disaster. And then he's been trying to find a home, whether it's New England or now it's in Philadelphia, and it's a disaster. It's really interesting. Maybe Tom Brady, who made, obviously, the New England Patriots great, maybe Tom Brady making his teammates great was the same thing as Bill Belichick making his coaches great. I don't know, because when those guys went on their own, not so great. And now they get demoted. Now they are out. Man. Uh, This is going to happen more and more as we peruse our great nation. This started happening in my town of Gary, Indiana, a long, long time ago. Business is closing down. In Oakland, the only in-and-out store is closed due to car break-ins, property damage, theft, armed robberies, other forms of criminal activity that have ravaged the area. Now, I'm reading this because this is a lot. I mean, when you think about it, car break-ins, property damage, theft, armed robberies, and other forms of criminal activities. We're grateful for the local community, which has supported us for over 18 years. We recognize that this closure negatively impacts our associates and their families. That means their workers, right? Additionally, this location remains a busy and profitable one for the company, but our top priority must be the safety and well-being of our customers and associates. We cannot ask them to visit or work in an unsafe environment. Pretty simple. You know, I'm not sure how this ended up, but there was a Starbucks that had to do this right downtown Indy, right on the circle. It was a rite of passage in Indy when you were my intern. I bought the coffee, but you had to go get the coffee at the Starbucks. And then, then, you know what happened. I know what happened. Our mayor let him let everybody peacefully protest, i.e. burn down the city, and everything downtown became lawless. People got the hell out of there, and next thing you know, the Starbucks closed. How do you close the Starbucks over safety concerns? Windows were being broke, human beings defecating. It's everywhere. Now, they tried to hide that, so maybe that's not the official reason, but that's the official reason I was told way back in the day. It's happening everywhere. Mom, whose daughter was allegedly killed by an immigrant, by migrant MS-13 member, that's the worst gang in the world, sues the Department of Homeland Security for, listen to this, $100 million over the migrant crisis. This needs to start happening more. Actually, I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't happen more because I hope kids don't get killed. I hope that people don't get raped. I hope people don't get robbed. I hope that at some point... Our politicians, i.e. Biden administration, work with everybody, Homeland Security, Texas, and we get this border shut down. We get the water spigot turned off. And if it's not going to happen that way, then I hope against hope that people do start suing. Screw this. Hey, you're letting them in. You're letting them undocumented. Son of a biscuit maker. And they're raping and robbing and killing, and these gang members are coming in. There needs to be a consequence, and that consequence needs to be money. 
Can't bring somebody back. Boy, I wish we had some balls and would say, nope, enough. We're getting you out of this country. You're no longer a welcome here to just come in. You can come in legally. We'd love to have you. It's how we built this country. But just letting everybody in and letting them run wild, where are they going? What do you think they are doing? How do you think they are surviving? It's insane. Woke-a-dope! Woke-a-dope! Woke-a-woke-a-dope! Woke-a-dope! Woke-a-woke! Hey, we go. You know, I love it. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's it. That's it, Yellen. That's it. We're just trying to survive it. That's right. I don't appreciate $20 for a bag of eggs, box of eggs, carton of eggs. I don't appreciate the prices everywhere I go in everything that I do. I don't appreciate the fact that our country is going to hell in a handbasket economically. Why are, let me ask you a question. Why are our gazillionaires buying bunkers, creating bunkers? Why are they doing that? Why is Zuckerberg creating an underground bunker? This goes back to when I was a kid. When I was a kid, there were bomb shelters. And every once in a while, and I can't remember if it was school, I can't remember where I did it, but I know I did it in two places. I did it in nursery school, and I did it at my grandfather's uh, bar, restaurant, whatever. We had to go down. We had to practice going down into a bomb shelter. Now, Nick and Nick are like, damn, how old is Dockage? Son of a biscuit. That dude's like a 1,000 years old. Bomb shelter. No. That's what it was. That's where we're at. Why are our richest, our most elite doing these things? Why are they doing that? I don't know. I don't know. But it seems like to me something's afoot. And it ain't that we're all riding a tidal wave of greatness that is Bidenomics. Next. Oh, man. Oh, man. You know, Subway Jared lived by me. You know, I knew Subway Jared. You stalked him in the store. Subway Jared went to Indiana. Subway Jared, uh, my daughter, basically the next day after my wife told me we were getting divorced, my daughter and I, she was a shambles. We went shopping at the Marsh on 106th in Michigan. Subway Jared was in there with his wife. And my daughter was kind of thrilled to see Subway Jared. And Subway Jared was cool. He gave her a five. My daughter loved Subway. And my daughter was given by Subway Jared like a little token, a little $5 off a Subway sandwich or something like that. And frankly, I hate to say this, but it really made my daughter's day. And I really like Subway Jared for being so kind to a little girl. And then it happened. And what happened was unbelievable. I lived over here. He lived probably three miles that way in a neighborhood across Michigan. I saw the house. I'm like, wow, surrounded. FBI jackets going in. Found out that there hasn't been a bigger perv right there in front of us in a long, long time. Maybe Harvey Epstein. Subway Jared was right in front of us doing all these god-awful things. He's in jail for a long, long time. I'm not going to put Megan Rapino on the same level as Subway Jared. I'm not. I'm sorry. Megan Rapino is in her own way of awfulness, anti-Americanism. I can't put her, though. I can't put her with Subway Jared. Subway Jared is one of the most heinous people that we've ever had in the public eye. 
sitting right there in front of us. You know, a lot of these guys, like Manson, these guys, these guys were groups in the background. Law enforcement knew about them. You know, these different people in communities. But this dude was right out in front of us. Man. Next. No, oh, geez. If Donald Trump wins, there she is, or it is, or he is, scream too. Scream too. Just open your mouth and yell. If you don't like something, just open your mouth and scream. Promise it'll work out for you. Just scream. Ah! Trump! Imagine what's going to happen on our college campuses if this happens again. Put your capesta. My eyes are burning. Hey, one last, last thing. You are welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I know yesterday I gave you a pick. I didn't have the sack attack behind me. I had Double D and his basketball expertise. What was the pick, you asked? The pick was North Carolina plus eight. That's right. I said it. I meant it. North Carolina giving eight, not plus eight. North Carolina giving eight. All right. You asked me tonight. What am I taking? I'll tell you what I'm taking. I'm taking Ball State on the road, minus one, at Buffalo. I think Mike Lewis has got a nice team. Another one? I think it's a nice night for us. I'm going to take Kentucky, minus five. I'm getting rid of the hook at South Carolina. Kind of like it. I'm going to take Ohio State, plus three and a half, against Nebraska, at Nebraska. I think a lot of magic has wore off Nebraska. I do. I watched them the other night. I'm like, yeah, they had a nice run early. They had a nice run. But ladies and gentlemen, I don't bet them because my son coaches them, but we're all Illinois State fans tonight, aren't we? Illinois State has a chance to exact revenge on Belmont. Illinois State, six-game losing streak. Couldn't make a shot. Went on the road to Missouri State and whooped them. Yes, sir. Have a great, great evening. Dylan, thank you. Nick and Nick, thank you. Aaron, Ryan, uh, Ryan. Ryan's no longer on this show, Brooke. Beth the Booker, Haley, Katie, everybody, thank you all. Aaron, you're the man. Gary, you're the man-man. See you tomorrow.